Listening to the Pre-Med Perspectives Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Pre-Med Perspectives. I'm Lasia and today I am so excited to have Michael Lay on the podcast today. You have definite, if you are pre-med and on pre-med talk, you have definitely seen his TikToks and he is just so transparent about the medical school admissions process and is very willing to help. Today, we're actually going to talk about the six components that make a competitive medical school application and a applicant in general. So, you know, Michael is someone that you should definitely take notes on. He matriculated from UCLA undergrad with zero gap years to UCLA's med school. So without further further ado, hello, Michael. How are you doing today? I am doing great. Thanks for the uh, warm welcome. I do not get those introductions on a weekly nor monthly basis. So it's, it's very, uh, very interesting to hear someone talking about me like that. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Thank you for your time and all your expertise. I'm really excited to delve into the six components. Why don't you kick us off with the component number one? Yeah, I, I call these the six levers and kind of some backstory. I think it, it's all it all starts from when I had to figure out how to get into medical school myself. Um, I was or I am the proud son of two Vietnamese immigrants, both of which who uh, don't really speak English that well, much less understand anything about college admissions nor medical school admissions. So figuring all this out and, and doing so in a systematic, standardized way uh, really is just my way of figuring out how to create my own future. And, and now I think I'm realizing that thousands, if not tens of thousands of other pre-meds uh, have an issue understanding what makes up a competitive pre-med applicant. And, and so this is kind of my way of simplifying it. And at the same time, delivering kind of a system for people to make sure that they're on track uh, and, and not to fall behind, because I know that that feeling can be overwhelming and over-encompassing for many pre-meds. So that's the backdrop. Yeah. The six levers. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, totally think that it's so important to, as a pre-med, when you're starting undergrad, go in with a plan, especially if you do know you definitely want to end up in medical school, because it is so incredibly overwhelming to hit all of the components to even put together a medical school application process, just take all the prerequisites and take the MCAT, get letters of recommendation, maybe some clinical hours uh, within three years, right? I mean, you apply at the end of your junior year. So it's, it's really helpful to hear these types of tips just to make sure you're on the right track. Yeah, I think you really hit it on the head there. You can quickly be overwhelmed if you are browsing the internet, Reddit, Student Doctor Network, anything on Google, um, much less kind of the advice that you hear from your upperclassmen. Uh, it's, it's quick, it quickly becomes a game of, hey, do I need clinical hours? Hey, if so, how much? 
hey, when do I need to take my bio lab? When, what's on the MCAT? When do I even apply to medical school? How many parts are on the medical school application? There's a lot of questions that you can ask and, and get uh, certain answers to, but I think that doing so kind of you, you, in doing so, you you lose the forest from the from the trees, or you get kind of lost in the weeds. I like to start from a ten thousand foot view, looking up top, looking at what your entire timeline is supposed to look like, what you're going to be asked to turn in by the time you apply to medical school, and kind of just work backwards from there. I think that makes the most sense for me, and certainly with all the uh, students that I've supported since um, since I've been on my own that seems to be a, a working model here. Definitely. I mean, like you said, it's so hard to figure out what's actually necessary and what might be, I don't want to say extra, but I think a lot of times people look up to, especially on upperclassmen and they're like, oh my God, Michael did this. <laughs> Lassia did this. Yeah. BG did this. I have to do that. And I am screwed if I don't. And, and the reality is everyone does things that are, are pretty different for some of the things. And you kind of have to pave your own way and figure it out yourself while keep making sure you have those, that base, that foundation for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love you. I love that you brought that up. And there's a story that I often share for anyone who's, uh, who's seen my contents, but there is this wonderful uh, mentor of mine named Andrew. He was a junior when I was a freshman or a senior when I was a freshman at undergrad. We were both part of this community health club. Uh, he ends up getting admitted to Harvard. And this is like the guy that I have always looked up and looked up to. And rightfully so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think there's only like two or three people that end up getting admitted to Harvard from UCLA every single year. And so uh, as a lost freshman, my my first understanding of how he did it uh, was to look him up on the internet, find his LinkedIn, and then recognize that all those clubs were taking applicants. And so I applied to literally every single uh, club that he was a part of, most notably a competitive club on campus called the Student Stroke Team. Um, and I think when you do something like that, you start, when you start to try and emulate or change your timeline and your journey to match someone else's, people can smell it from a mile away. Uh, undergrad clubs can certainly smell it from a mile away. And certainly medical school admissions committees can tell when you're being authentic or being genuine, just because when you write about something or when you speak about something, it, it comes across, right? If you're not particularly interested in basket weaving and you had to talk about it for 10 minutes, uh, I, I can imagine that'd be difficult, but long story short, I, I end up applying to the student stroke team seven times and I was rejected seven times. And um, that taught me a great lesson that your pre-med journey is your own. And while it certainly is great to look up to mentors and, and look at the internet for some answers, uh, too many answers can be a very bad thing. Definitely. I mean, I think your story, the stroke you said that was a stroke team, student stroke team. I mean, that was a pretty small leap for you to hurdle or 
small hurdle for you to leap over in the grand scheme of things, but I had a guest. Um, he's a student at Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, and he's on their admissions committee now. All worked out well for him, but he actually, you know, one of the people that he looked up to told him, hey, you don't need any clinical experience. Just make sure you shadow someone once a year, maybe, and I think you'll be good. And he did that, and he did not get into medical school the first time around, and he realized that probably wasn't the best advice for me. It worked out for them, but it definitely didn't work out for me. So your story and his goes to show that please try to pave your own path, uh, knowing that there are some landmarks you should definitely reach along the way. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great transition to kind of the six levers and how it serves as a framework for understanding your admissions process. I think we, we touched this, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but there's kind of a spectrum of preparedness uh, for a pre-med. On, on one end of the spectrum, you might have people like yourself who were admitted from high school. And now really it's just kind of following these uh, requirements that your BSMD program has asked of you. That's kind of one end of the spectrum. And then the other end of the spectrum are the people who don't really know if they're going to go into medicine. And then all of a sudden their third year or their fourth year or even late their second year, they decide, hey, yeah, okay, uh, I think I'm going to commit to this medicine thing. And then they look at their application and how they spent the last two or three years, and they recognize that they've spent their time uh, kind of unintentionally wandering around without a plan. And I completely understand that. I think it's scary to kind of face all these questions that are relevant to medical school admissions. Uh, but I think it doesn't give a reason for most pre-meds uh, to not face their fear and to not start seeking a structure and system that works well for them. I think your pre-med years uh, don't have to be arduous and uh, torture. I think these are your college years, your golden years. I call them the, your perfect pre-med years. And you don't have to be a pre-med first. I think you can be a college student first. You can be a brother first. You can be a son first. You can be a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner first. And, and still be a very successful pre-med second or third or even fourth. Um, but you can only do that if you live your pre-med years intentionally. Because as you mentioned in the beginning, for people who don't want to, to take a gap year, from the day you step on campus to the day you apply to medical school, the clock is ticking and it's less than three years. And if this pandemic has taught us anything, two years, two and a half years goes by really quickly. Uh, the last time I was in a bar or out with my friends um, or out in person regularly exercising without a mask uh, seemed seemed like it was yesterday. That, that time goes by quickly. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely correct about that. You know, when I came into undergrad, I knew I was going, I, I wanted to go to med school. And, you know, I really like how you said it doesn't need to be arduous. I think a lot of times pre-meds get the rep of being extremely competitive, cutthroat, kind of just stress bombs. But I think when you start doing things intentionally, at least I, I try to do things intentionally, I think it actually relieves so much stress off your shoulders because you don't feel like you need to do everything under the sun, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that really makes sense. And I learned this from one of my, I, I mean, I, I would consider a mentor, Dr. Shamasian. Uh, he describes medical school as being simple, not complicated, simple, but that doesn't mean it's, it's quite easy. Uh, simple and easy are two different 
ways to describe something. And I think I second that. Medical school admissions, the requirements are all kind of almost set in stone. And everyone, uh, everyone may disagree with some of the, the details of some things, but overall, it is very, very simple to understand, um, but executing it is the difficult part. And so I think a lot of people who get overwhelmed with the process, the reason is that they are overcomplicating medical school admissions and starting to get into the weeds and asking all these nuanced questions. I hope today, at the very least, uh, of any, or for anyone who is listening, I just hope that you simplify your pre-med timeline and your goals with the next two, three, four years before you apply to medical school. And I hope that by the time you get to your application, you have spent um, a significant time intentionally building and, and executing your pre-med journey such that when you do apply, you feel like it is a great representation of who you are. I think a lot of pre-meds get to this point where they're about to apply and they have to look to a admissions company or an essay consultant to try and almost outright a poor set of pre-med years. Uh, in other words, try to, try to write so spectacularly that it almost makes up for unintentionally living their first two or three years. Um, I think that it's much more enjoyable and much more fulfilling and overall increases your chances at mission much more if you live your pre-med years intentionally first and foremost, uh, because it's really hard to poorly write a set of years that you've lived intentionally. Yeah, absolutely. I love how you said that you try to write so well that it almost covers up the fact that you don't actually like what you're doing. I think a lot of times people have all 15 slots of the AAMC activity section filled out, but they don't really have anything to say. And I know personally, I mean, looking back on the experiences that I've had as a pre-med, I'm just so excited to write about all the different interactions I've had with patients, all the different activities and um, interactions I've had with the people experiencing homelessness in the shelter, just to say a few, like it's very exciting and you look forward to writing it more when you know that you really did live out your years well. No, I love that. That's the position that every pre-med should hope to find themselves in. That they should feel like the medical school application is just a platform to really share what they've been up to over the last two, three years. And if you've been loving the things that you've been up to over the last two, three years, there's just no way anyone can compete with you. Even if you don't have a 4.0 GPA, 528 MCAT, it's hard to compete with someone who is only doing the things that they love. Um, it's, I mean, it's just, it's just impossible because you're creating a category of one that makes you incomparable to other pre-meds, especially with 50,000 pre-meds applying every year with very, very similar experiences across the board. If you are able to work with the underserved or people who are experiencing homelessness in a way that's unique to you, uh, then you start to be compared or, or incomparable to the rest of the pack. Definitely. Uh, so I've loved hearing about this, you know, generalized kind of pep talk you've had about choosing things that you really love so that your application truly highlights who you are. So you're really just one of a kind, but 
Tell us about the six levers as you, as you've been mentioning, I'm really curious to hear about those. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty simple as to how I got to this. Let's go back and forth here. Um, so obviously the end goal is to put on a white coat that says your name on it, says your first name and your family's last name on it. You will have just done your hair, maybe um, did a severe or, or extreme workout regime for two weeks. I'm not speaking for anyone but myself, just so that you look great in pictures um, during your white coat ceremony. And your family is there with you and they're taking pictures with their phone. They're kind of squatting, trying to get all these different angles. You're smiling because you met your new classmates. That's kind of the end goal, correct? Yeah. Okay. So let's work one step backwards. In order to get to that white coat ceremony, what is the most immediate thing before that? Getting into med school. Okay. Getting an acceptance email or getting a an acceptance voicemail. That is directly the, the thing before. Okay, perfect. And what is right before getting an acceptance? Getting an interview. Exactly. Yep. So the interview is the thing right before that. And before an interview? Getting a secondary. Exactly. Sec submitting your secondaries and your letters of recommendations and maybe some ethical tests like the CASPER. And before secondaries? your primary and your activity section and uh, maybe a disadvantaged essay. I love it. I love it. I like how you are uh, <laughs> punctuating everything with a question mark. I think <laughs> um, it, it is hard to kind of walk backwards uh, as we're doing here, but it's a good exercise because one, you visualize your end goal. And then two, you're figuring out every single thing you need to take um, to do or to complete to get to that end goal. So interviews and secondaries are pretty self-explanatory. Um, interviews, you, you show up virtually or in person and you meet the crew and you show them that you are who you are in person. I'm not going to spend too much more time than that on that. Secondaries, uh, if people have applied to private schools and use the Common App, they remember that as basically just kind of school-specific essays. Some schools may ask, hey, why do you want to go to USC? Other schools may ask, hey, uh, what makes you special? Other schools may ask, uh, what will you bring to our student body? It all depends on what the school wants. So again, pretty simple and straightforward. Are we following there? Yes, I'm following. Okay, perfect. Now the primaries, uh, as well as a disadvantage essay that you mentioned, things get a little bit more nuanced. There are a couple of things that are on the primary application. Can you list them? Um. The why do you want to be a doctor essay, um, your activity section, your GPA, your MCAT, uh, your personal information, like what your parents do. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's that is wonderful. You hit nearly everything on the head here. So this is how I kind of categorize it to make things easier for people to understand. So the six levers as it stands are one, your GPA. Everyone is aware that your GPA is something that you'll submit. Uh, obviously, we can get more nuanced and talk about your trend and your science GPA and your non-science GPA and the prerequisites and when to take those. But again, those are all part of the details. Those are all part of the weeds. Let us just focus on the 10,000 foot view. Lever one is your GPA. Lever two then is your MCAT, as you mentioned. Again, we can get nuanced with all the sections of the MCAT, how long should I study for it, what recommended resources. But again, 
at the this end of the day, sucks. we all know it all sucks. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, but at the end, you're going to have to submit a score, right? Or multiple scores. So that's lever one, level, lever two, GPA and MCAT. Those are your objective measures or your, your numerical measures, I should say. Sure. Lever three, as you mentioned, are your extracurricular activities or your work and activities section. Lever four is your, why do I want to be a doctor or uh, verbatim, please use the space below to explain your uh, motivations for a career in medicine, 5,300 characters. That is your personal statement, lever four. We mentioned this earlier too, but there, the fifth lever consists of things or um, documents that are going to be written in support of you. Those would be your letters of recommendation. Exactly. That is lever number five. And then lever number six is kind of the unloved or uh, unsung hero here. Uh, but it is the last thing that you're going to submit during your primary application. And it's specifically the school list or where you will be applying to medical school. I think that certainly has an impact on your admissions odds. And so I've, I have uh, created its own spots where it lives the sixth and final lever. Definitely. You mentioned a lot of yeah, not to interrupt you, but I think that that is something that a lot of people overlook. And I know it's so easy to get wrapped up in the MSAR and being like, okay, I have a 5XX, I have a 3.XX, and this school has this, and this school has that. I'm definitely applying. And if there's anything I've learned from the guests on my podcast is there is definitely a more nuanced way of going about that. Yeah, and there is a more nuanced way of going about each and every single one of these levers. I could talk to you about um, things about the school list. For example, how many schools should you apply to? Uh, for example, uh, and, and other kind of sub-levers include, does a school take a significant portion of in-state applicants? Um, how much of your school list should be quote unquote reach schools, target schools, safety schools? Uh, how accurate or verifiable is the wars calculator that's available on Student Doctor Network? Every single one of these levers has millions of sub levers or subtopics to discuss. But again, I think we all benefit from going back to the basics. And these six levers give you a framework for understanding how to maximize your chances at admission. Simply put, if you, let's say we grade out of the all of these levers out of 10, let's say, then if you make each and every one of these levers a 10 out of 10 or an 11 out of 10, that is how you optimize your medical school admissions. I think it, it, it's beneficial to say, hey, my extracurriculars right now are a six out of 10, because that gives you an opportunity to compare it to your GPA, which may be a nine out of 10, your MCAT, which may be an eight out of 10, your letters of rec may be a seven out of 10, um, or even a four out of 10, and you can now determine, hey, with the, with the last six months that I have here before I apply, it is very clear to me that my focuses should be my extracurricular activities, my letters of recommendation. That is what I think this framework is most useful for, keeping tabs on everything so that when you do eventually apply, you have a comprehensive, holistic application where you have covered every single base and made sure that you optimize every single thing that you will eventually be evaluated on. 
Definitely. I think that these six levers really give you the idea. It paints the full picture of who you need to be as a pre-med. And, you know, it always sucks when you're like, I can imagine just six months before applying, realizing you might be at a two for some of these. So I think if you are a pre-med listening to this in your first year, maybe second year, definitely got to try working on getting them to as close as a 10, if not a 10, if possible. Yeah, I completely agree. And just, I mean, just this breakdown from, uh, just this breakdown, those six words or six levers alone will help people understand, hey, when it comes time to apply, this is what I'm going to be asked to submit. And so I make sure, I have to make sure that all of these are in tip top shape. And then that is when we kind of get into a more nuanced discussion, at least the the students that I advise here on TikTok and, and on YouTube and on, on all the other social channels and the, the students that I advise personally. But if your GPA is a, let's say, 3.95, then we get into this interesting situation where, hey, my GPA is a 3.95. That's essentially a nine, 9.5 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10, really, on your GPA. If it is taking me, say, 25 hours to maintain that 3.95 GPA, well, maybe that's not the best use of my 25 hours, especially if I only have a year or less before I apply. Maybe I should spend only 15 hours on my schoolwork and I and be okay with dropping my 3.95 to a 3.92 if it means now that I can take my zero shadowing hours to 150 or take my clinical experience working with the underserved populations of uh, Michigan and elevating that responsibility such that now I have uh, added a new service. For example, I have worked with the city, uh, worked with the city mayor or council, whatever, to develop a safe needle exchange for people who are on the streets um, and are active substance users and are ready and are not ready to quite quit um, using, but do want to keep using in a safer way. That ends up being much more impactful. Uh, That ends up helping a student stand out way more than um, changing your 3.95 GPA to say a 3.96 GPA. This framework allows you to make these kind of nuanced decisions for yourself. I love that. And I think a lot of times people say you need to make sacrifices. And I don't think that someone has ever said it as well as you said it. It's not just making sacrifices in your social life. It might be making sacrifices in some of these levers. And I think what you said about the needle exchange, that's really funny because that is something I do. Um, You meet people along the way that enhance your other levers. For example, through that process, you meet people and they you, they happen to be able to say very robust and very nice things about you. There goes your personal, or sorry, not your personal statement, your letters of recommendation lever goes up a little bit. So I think it's definitely interesting how when you try to increase one of these levers inadvertently, other levels tend to go up as well. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a astute observation. And I mean, I, I can imagine situations where you do have to make sacrifices Uh, with your time. And you may not be in the fortunate position where kind of 
the rising tide lifts all boats and, and you, you actually do have to take a hit on your GPA to boost your extracurriculars or uh, take a hit on your extracurriculars to boost a struggling GPA. Um, even in that case, which I guess is the worst case, quote unquote, worst case scenario here, you are still making a strategic decision for yourself. You're still looking at your application as a whole and saying, hey, look, these are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. My game plan is to cover up my weaknesses. I don't want anything below a six or a seven out of 10, really. Those are red flags. I'm not going to have anything below a six or seven out of 10. But here are my strengths, right? If you are strong academically and you think your GPA and MCAT are going to be the things that are going to help you stand out, then I want you to double down on that. I want you to go to a 4.0528 because that alone opens your opens many, many doors. But if you are a student who may struggle with a standardized test, but uh, may excel in, in long form coursework, like a quarter or a semester's long of coursework, then maybe you take a hit on the MCAT and you double down on your GPA or you double down on your extracurriculars. You don't have to be Kobe Bryant's for every single thing. But if you are able to patch up your weaknesses so that your application doesn't get thrown out for a 2.0 GPA or a, uh, like you brought up earlier, a clinical, a clinical experience hours of zero or once a year, if you don't get thrown out, then your next step is, what am I uniquely or individually strong at? Academics, extracurriculars, or even building relationships and, and earning 15 out of 10 letters of recommendations. I want you to double and triple and quadruple down on those parts of your application because then you are painting a clear picture to medical school admissions committees and saying, hey, I'm well-rounded, I've got every base covered, but if you're looking for X, Y, Z, like I'm that guy. If you're looking for ABC, like I'm that gal. And I think you can only do that once you take a 10,000 foot view, uh, reflect on what you're strong at, what you're weak at, cover your weaknesses and double down on your strengths. That's how I use this framework. Definitely. I mean, it's really helpful. And I love the the 10,000 10, foot uh, overview of it. And I think your, your message really is as a pre-med, the most successful people are introspective and they are able to make changes in their life to live kind of a more balanced uh, life, which reflects in your application being much stronger than if you were to not do all those things. So anticipate, introspect and act. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like you you developed a framework of your own here. I love it. Um, I would just say that, yeah, you can do both the introspection and be detail-oriented because like we mentioned earlier, this is a 10,000-foot view. If you want to delve into how to improve your GPA, there's a lot of things we got to talk about. First of all, if your GPA is a 3.7 and you have three semesters left uh, before you have to apply to medical school, what really is your ceiling, right? Let's say you can only take 60 more units, let's say 20 units a quarter or semester. If you get all A's, what does your GPA then, then become? That's a mathematical thing that you can really work out. And that becomes useful because um, if your 3.7 only becomes a 3.74 after 60 units of A's, or, or if it becomes a 3.8, Two, then that certainly changes how worth it it is for you to spend that time or invest that time in those 60 units, or, or it may even push you to make a decision to push your application an additional year so that you can get 60 additional units and bring that 37 to uh, 385. Uh, I, I just bring all this up and all this very nitty gritty detailed stuff to say that 
this 10,000 foot view does not preclude you from also being in the details, getting in the weeds, and really understanding your application from a microscopic level. All I suggest, though, is that pre-meds start with a genuine understanding of the white coat ceremony, working all the way backwards to your primary application, then building all that backwards to uh, the, the, your current day and how much runway you have left before you apply uh, and, and seeing what you can do with each of these six levers before it is your time to submit your application. Love it. I mean, I think you really gave the full synopsis. Anyone who listens to this before the start of their pre-med experience is definitely very, very well prepared to tackle their years in the most successful ways possible. If you want to learn more in-depth pre-med tips, I know we couldn't go super in-depth the GPA, MCAT, um, all those different types of things. Uh, Michael does have a lot of content out there. He has an Instagram and a TikTok. So his TikTok is Michael, which is M-I-C-H-A-E-L, and then M-I-N-H, and then L-E, uh, so Michael Minley. And then he has an Instagram as well, which is just michael.min.lay, uh, sorry, not Lee. Um, and I'm going to link those down below because he has a lot of great content. And um, on his TikTok, he kind of delves a little bit deeper into some of these lo- levers. And I think everyone on this podcast who's listening can really benefit Um, from that discussion that he has on his social media platforms. But thank you so much, Michael, for joining us today and giving us, as you call it, the 10,000 foot view uh, and working back from the white coat ceremony. I've learned a lot today and I know my guests have as well. No, I appreciate it. Thank you for hosting me here. It's it's always fun to go back and forth with someone who is as uh, curious and introspective as you. I think you bring a lot to the table from a perspective point of view. And truthfully, um, I wish that TikTok and Instagram were more conducive to long form conversations like these. I feel like we not only have more fun, uh, but we learn a lot more. And um, if you are interested in getting more into the the, the details and, and the weeds, uh, the Instagram and the TikTok accounts all have kind of a uh, a website at the top of my, in my bio. And there is a YouTube, there's a two hour workshop where I am not talking with a lovely host like yourself. I'm kind of talking at my computer uh, where I break through or I break down all of these six levers in excruciating detail and, and uh, share my thoughts on how each year of your pre-med life from freshman year all the way through senior year uh, should be broken down and, and what you should be focusing on on each of these, on each of those years. Great. I will definitely be sure to link that website below. And it is my honor and privilege to be able to bring the pre-med communities great free resources like you. So thank you very much once again. And to everyone listening, have a healthy, happy, and safe rest of your week. And I'll see you again next Friday with another episode. Bye, everyone.